one of the most profound and challenging things that I do as a priest is celebrate the sacrament of reconciliation uh, with people, the sacrament of confession. It's challenging because just the very nature of the sacrament of reconciliation. I mean, imagine, I want you to imagine how the priest feels. You, sometimes I'll be the only, well, I'll be, I'm the only priest um, who hears confessions. His Father Scott is not here. And I come in to hear confessions and I see a line of 15 to 20 people waiting. And I know they all made an effort to come to confession. And so uh, my challenge is, as a person enters your presence, they're about to open up their lives to you. And sometimes they're dealing with profound issues in their lives. And the challenge, of course, is being authentic being present to them, but at the same time knowing that uh, whatever happens, if I even if I take five minutes with each person, you're talking about an hour and a half to two hours, and it, there isn't that time. But so it's a challenge, and but I love doing it because it's really a time when I can experience very closely the Holy Spirit guiding me. Because one of the things you have to do as a priest is, at least I do it, is that you don't presume that you are bringing God to that person. That person has already been the recipient of the Holy Spirit, and God is active in their lives. And so one of the things that a priest has to do immediately, at least I do it, is to ask God to help you to see where that relationship already has been, and so that you give something that is complementary to that which is already existing within that person. So anyway, the reason I'm talking about that, or I introduced my, my comments to you tonight with that, is that um, a minor part of reconciliation, um, but still another challenging part, is what penance you give to the people who come to you. Now, I, I don't know where this started, and I, I don't do it, but I hear about a lot of priests giving stuff like three Our Fathers and three Hail Marys, you know, and I really never liked that at all. Um, mainly because I remember doing it. I remember getting that penance. And I remember, you know, you just sit down and get it done. You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be, or Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord. And you, you just get it done. Okay, God, I did my penance. Doom, you're done. And that always has seemed to me just not what it's supposed to be. The penance is supposed to be a time of um, restoration, to do something that will supplement some of the 
evil that you have brought into the world by your own sin to do something good. And I guess saying a fast prayer is good, but eh. So anyway, I always give one penance. And any of you who have come to confession with me know that the standard penance that I give um, is I ask the person to be alone with God before they go to bed that night and present to him, ask him from the heart to help that person to be the man or woman that God is calling them to be. That's, I think that's individual enough. But anyway, why do I say that? Because the three Our Fathers and the three Hail Marys is so darn prevalent. And it has always struck me that when we say the Our Father, most of us really don't think it through. And you know, my favorite theologian, uh, I don't expect you to know his name, his name is Rahner, R-A-H-N-E-R, passed away in 1984. But he, he always, in several occasions, for example, he went with a group of people visiting a church and uh, they had some, you know, those candles that you light and you put a little donation in and you light a candle. And several people were going to light five and six candles and give more money. And uh, Ronner, Father Carl, Father Ronner, said, no, one is enough, but do it with intention. One is enough. And that has always struck me because the whole notion of repeating prayer after prayer after prayer is to a large degree counterproductive. Even in the rosary, uh, it's, one, it's the only prayer that I know of that you're not supposed to pay attention to. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. But you're not supposed to pay attention to the Hail Mary. You're supposed to pay attention to the mystery. And the Hail Mary is just to keep your mouth and your hands busy with, your, with the rosary. But the attention should be given to the mystery. But anyway, it strikes me that whenever we pray the Our Fathers, that you should be saying it, but saying it while meditating on it. And if you're going to say our Father, say it slowly. Say it slowly. And, and you know, the word meditate, meditate can be, it, it can be a very confusing word. It really only means reflect. That's all it means, is reflect. And I've started before I go to bed, I normally say just a, a couple of short prayers. I say an Our Father. I say one Hail Mary. I say one Glory Be. And then I say the prayer to St. Michael, the Archangel. But when I say the Our Father, I'm conscious. I say it extremely slowly extremely slowly. And 
I always imagine myself hearing echoes for every word. So it's kind of like when you say the word our, Mother, our Father. I imagine if I were to speak that in an echo chamber, what would be the echoes that would come back to me? And, and what I mean by the echoes is um, not the actual word itself, but when you use that word, our, you notice that and all I'm going to do is give you a few little things to think about when you say the Our Father. And those are the, what I call the echoes that come back to you. And spend a little time. It should take you a good three to four minutes to say one Our Father. It should take you that long. Because it should, you should be pausing. For example, our. Now, what, what, what could come out of that? Did you ever think that Jesus, the holiest man that ever lived, only taught one prayer? Just one. You would think that the man would have taught a bunch of prayers. He only taught one. And that one prayer is not a private prayer. It's supposed to be said with a group of people that is saying our. And so the very moment I use the word our, I am conscious that I'm not alone, even though I may be alone in my room. Because I'm conscious that that our is said in conjunction with every angel and saint and every other human being that even though we're not in each other's presence, we're all calling our, our Father. And it's interesting because Jesus, Jesus was very clear that what's important in life is not your blood relations. What's important is life. Remember that when they say your mother and your brethren are out here to see you? And Jesus says, who is my mother, my brother, and my sister? Those who do the will of God. He wasn't downing Mary at all. Mary is the one who did most God's will. But all of a sudden, when I use the word our, I get echoes of people in heaven and on earth. And just the fact that we're all saying the same prayer. I could go on and on. Just the word our. And it's not my Father who art in heaven. Give me this day my daily bread. It's our. And then you use the word Father. And again, I, I have to run through this because sometimes I get lost in the Our Father. But think about this. There is no other religion in the entire world, none, that calls God Father. None. You know, it's interesting because a lot of times people, you know, when people say, oh, well, I believe in God, and I'm always tempted to ask them, which God? Which God? Because the word, you know, when you say, for example, oh, my God, and people say, oh, sorry, Father, I cursed. No, you didn't. The word God is not God's name. 
Okay, God is a category. It's a category. So when you say our Father, notice you are using a word that has a, that connotes a relationship of somebody who cares about you. Do you understand? Do we understand that in Christianity? It is the only religion, not only that says God is our father, because Judaism doesn't say that. The Lord, Yahweh, um, Islam does not say that at all. Neither does Hinduism, nor, uh, nor Taoism, nor uh, Buddhism. None of that say that. Say that. Christianity is the only one. And we identify God <clears throat> with a personal relationship. And, and it's even more interesting when you say, understand that the word in Hebrew that is used when Jesus is talking about that is the word Abba, which actually means dad. So you, what you're actually doing is saying, our dad. <laughs> our dad or our daddy. It's a, it's a tremendously familiar term. And so just those two words, and I, I could go on, but just those two words, you should pause and let, you know, <clears throat> it's, it's kin to chewing it. It's, it's kin to taking a fine wine and somebody gives you a wine that is super, supremely expensive and you go Ooh, that's it and you down you're supposed to savor it you're supposed to let the that's why when you see people tasting wine they go you know and stuff like that because they're trying to to get the flavor of it and that's what you're supposed to be doing get the flavor that's meditation get the get the echoes the nuances it's very, very kin to tasting. Then, uh, and I'm not going to go through every word like this because people are going, oh my God, he's been going 10 minutes. He's only got through two words. <laughs> um, but it, um, the next line, who art in heaven, our Father who art in heaven, okay? Why do we say that? Why did Jesus say that? Isn't God everywhere? Why do we say who are in heaven? And the reason is because as a result of original sin, there is a split between heaven and earth. Jesus talks about the world. He says, you do not belong to the world. I leave you in the world, but you are not of the world. And so we recognize that there is heaven and heaven and even Jesus told us he said the kingdom of God is among you meaning heaven is right here right now problem is we can't see it because we are disconnected from the divine reality and since we're disconnected from the divine reality we're blinded you know I, I recently re-watched um, the, the movie The Matrix. 
And if you haven't seen it, it's a very interesting movie. It's got tremendous religious overtones, but it's basically that the robots have taken over humanity and all of human beings are actually being living in pods and hallucinate, the, the robot, robots are making them hallucinate that they're actually alive and they're taking nutrients out of, out of the human beings. And the, her the hero is, uh, there's a group of people who have managed to wake up and they realize that the entire experience that they're having is all made up in these pods by robots. And he is offered by this group, one guy is offered, you can either take the red pill or the blue pill. And the blue pill will keep you and you'll continue in, in fantasy land. Nothing is real, but you'll feel like it's fantasy. Or the red pill. And the red pill means you wake up to reality. And I think that that's what's going on with us. We're living in the midst of heaven. They're right next to us everywhere. It's not up there somewhere. But we don't see it because we're disconnected. We don't see it. And so to be able to meditate on the fact that the reality that we are experiencing is really, it's almost like a totally colorblind reality that we don't see the depth of heaven present among us. Who art in heaven, thy kingdom come. Why? Because we just said we're, celeb we're separated and we're asking God, fix this thing. Fix this. Because thy kingdom come, meaning it's there you, you, where you are, but not here. We can't see it. Fix us. Fix us so that we can see what is actually happening because we're still in pods living in an illusion. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And notice again, on earth as it is in heaven. Again, that, that split between earth and heaven. And what you're doing is you're acknowledging that you're living in an illusion because the, the, the reality that we experience day to day is really an illusion. It's not, it's not that it's not real in and of itself. It's just that it, you don't see the depth of it and you don't see everything the way it hangs together in God because we're blind. We're blinded. That's why Jesus would call the Pharisees blind because you don't, we don't see it. And, and it, it, anyway, that's just a, on earth as it is in heaven. And then give us this day our daily bread. I'm not going to go into it heavily, but actually the Greek there says, give us this day the supernatural bread. It's not talking about food. It's talking about when Jesus says, I am the bread of life. What you're actually asking for. And remember Jesus said, if you eat this bread, you will live forever. Give us this day our supernatural bread. Keep us alive in you. Don't let us starve spiritually. Yes, physically, but don't let us spiritually starve. Give us, maintain us in constant communion, common union with you. Give us this day our daily bread. 
Forgive us our trespasses. Forgive. Who can forgive? Only God can do that as we forgive. But notice, he's putting that on us. We have to be like God, not holding back. And then, lead us not into temptation. That, that phrase in English is so bad, so bad. In Spanish, when you speak, when you say the Our Father in Spanish, the second half of the Our Father says, Danos hoy nuestro pan, give us this day, de cada día, our daily bread. Y perdona nuestras ofensas, pardon our offenses, como también nosotros perdonamos a los que nos ofenden, like we forgive those who offend us. And then it says, y no nos dejes caer en tentación, meaning, do not let us, allow us to fall into temptation. That's the way it's translated in Spanish. Do not allow us to fall into temptation. But when in English we say, lead us not into temptation, you're going, huh? What's God going to do, lead you into temptation? That you have to ask him not to do that? It's not what it means. It, it means that if you're tempted, lead us not into temptation. Mean keep me from being tempted. Keep, keep me from the tests. Keep me from that. Lead me away from that. If you don't ask, I'm going to do it. And deliver us from evil. They deliver us from evil. Because at all moments of our lives, all we have to do is make the wrong choices. And it's really up to us. I've rushed that last part, mainly because I just could go on and on. But notice what I did. It, it just, I just took one our father. And I, instead of just saying it, savor it. Treat it like wine, like a very good wine. Let it stay inside the spiritual mouth and let it go down slowly. Don't, don't just blurt it out because that's not the point. And then let me finish with this. Most people that I talk to say they find prayer boring. Well, the, 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 the most common reason that I find people find prayer boring is that their prayer is all about talking. And I had a spiritual director who used to tell me that prayer should be 95% listening and 5% talking. Now, the question is, how do you listen to God? First of all, <clears throat> remember the definition of prayer. It's very simple. Prayer is anything that lifts your mind and your heart to God. Period. That's it. Nothing fancy. And so, whatever does that to you, whatever helps you to lift your mind and heart to God, Pay attention to it. Pay attention to whatever lifts your mind and heart to God. Is it music? I can't tell you how many times I have prayed to Beethoven's Seventh Symphony because I cannot hear that symphony without interiorly being reflective on, on God's action in the world. I, don't, I won't go in through it, but right, I can't do it. Any, any song, 
that, that, that lifts your mind and heart to God. There's one Beatles song that every time it comes on, uh, I, I just immediately, I pray the song. It's, it's a, who knows how long I've loved you. I've loved you. Uh, um, you know I love you still. Will I wait a lonely lifetime? If you want me to, I will. Uh, but that song comes up and immediately my mind goes, you know, right up to God. That's prayer. Reading. Get a book. The scriptures could be it. But get a, a, a spiritual reading book that lifts your mind and heart, that draws your interest. You're supposed to use your mind to, to, to lift it up to God. Pick up something that a spiritual reading book and read it for 15, 20, 30 minutes a day. Notice what's happening. It's incoming. It's not outgoing. Most of the time you get bored because it's only you talking. It's almost like God is wanting to say, would you let me get a word in edgewise? But we go, you know, like that. And it's not bad, but it's not the way that's going to keep you praying. So anyway, just closing, pay attention to prayer. Pay attention. Don't, don't make it what it's not. You can't have a relationship with anybody unless you spend time communicating. And when you're with somebody you love, the most important thing for you to do is not to talk. It's to listen. And your prayer should be, get a cup of coffee in the morning. I have a, a, I have a good friend of mine who has a rocking chair that is pointed at a corner of his room. And he has a little corner table. And he gets up in the morning, he gets his cup of coffee, and he sits in the rocking chair and in front of the, that's pointed to the corner. And there in the corner, there's a corner table with a little candle and a crucifix. And he spends about half an hour drinking his coffee, speaking and listening to God. He says, I look forward to that every morning. A good cup of coffee and God with me. Who wouldn't look forward to that? Prayer, <clears throat> prayer should be nutritious, but it should also be delicious.